Welcome to Your Family Dog, a podcast dedicated to helping families love living with dogs. Welcome back to the Your Family Dog podcast. I'm your host, Tina Spring, and I'm here with my beautiful and smart co-host, Julie Fudge-Smith. And today, we're going to talk about why your dog is staring at you, probably probably right now even, staring at you, maybe from in the car, from the kitchen, or next to the water bowl, chewing on a bony, laying on their bed, wondering if you're going for a walk. So today, we're going to talk about your dog staring at you, why that may be happening, um, how it can be misconstrued, and how you can use it to your advantage. What do you think, Julie? I think it sounds like fun. I also think it sounds like, um, you know, something people always go like, why does my dog do and what does it mean when? And I think this is a common one. Sometimes, you know, um, I'll just suddenly look and go, what, what, what do you need? What is, why are you staring at me? Right. <laughs> it's like, seriously, I'm not that interesting. I am just working on my book here, man, typing away on my computer. Why are you staring at me? So I think sometimes um, our dogs are perplexed by us. I think they're like, really? Why, why, would, why would a human do that? I think they stare at us sometimes just to try and figure out what is this human doing that just seems really sort of, we look at them and go, why are you doing that? I think sometimes they look at us and go, why are you doing that? That seems kind of really weird. Here on Planet Dog, we would never consider doing that. Well, I mean, right now during the pandemic, I mean, we're all playing an epic game of why do you do that that way? A game no one wins and that the prizes don't matter. Um, so I think our dogs watch us for the reasons our dogs watch squirrels and bunnies not not in the predatory sense although maybe sometimes to figure out when to dash out the door when to get the pot roast sitting on the counter but I think naturally they watch right they they are watchers first and foremost the same way that we are like we tend when left to our own devices we you know we sit at the beach and we watch we watch other people walk by we watch people while we're in our cars we're watchers and so I think they're good at watching and analyzing um, movement and activity and starting to become, using that to become more predictive about what might be coming next and whether or not it's germane to them. Yes, I agree. Well, I was thinking about when you said they're watchers, Clementine loves to watch. She, like when they're riding in the car, she will just sit and stare out the window. And I think that's why she climbs on the kitchen table because it's oh, the only way to well, really that's see. Why. That's why, because it's really the so only way. She can she... look out the car window. No. <laughs> <laughs> so she can see the backyard oh. uh, because we have a big bay window in our kitchen that overlooks the backyard, but the kitchen table's right there. And so I think she likes to get on the kitchen table because then I can see the squirrels. This so is my theory. Just before we started recording this episode, um, Julie was telling me that she was working with a family on teaching their dog to stay. And the family, <laughs> the, the customer asked her how long her dogs can stay. And Julie said, well, I, I don't really know because I haven't taught my dogs to do that yet. I work on other things um, that are more germane. And it opened to this really beautiful conversation about how everybody has different priorities for 
what's important to train their dogs. I'm, I'm wondering if in this very moment, Julie is adding getting Clementine off the kitchen table is being added to the list. Could be, could be. She doesn't always go up there, but the the best ones. Brad telling me that that he left, and when he came home, there was Clementine. She was sitting in a perfect tuck, sit, happy to see him, wagging her little tail on the kitchen table. So, um, <laughs> so she doesn't. So I think what uh, she gets a little bored because she can't see out the window when we're gone. So I think she thinks, oh, I'll get on the table and I can watch what's going on outside. So. We need to, yes, it is something I probably need to work on. And and now people are going, well, why in the world would I listen to this woman as a trainer if her dog gets on the kitchen table? Well, okay, um, so so the reality is it it makes you really honest, one, which is one of the things I love about you, but and authentic. It does it's not that big a deal to you. And you're not losing your mind and, and pulling your hair out because Clementine's on the table. You're doing what dog trainers would recommend. You're analyzing like what my, why might this behavior be happening? And then if it was important to you to change, you would go, okay, we can adjust management. We might increase enrichment when we're gone. Like you're doing what, what we do. It's if it's not a big deal to you and Brad, if you guys are tickled by it, like, go you. That's awesome. Right. That, that would not, that would be a deal breaker in my house. But uh, if you don't like, I've divorced myself from what things other people want for their dogs, you know, like, it's just not that big a deal. So when Clementine sits on the table and stares at you, why might she be staring at you? She's not staring at me. She's staring at the backyard. Oh, Oh, so I felt when like Brad came in, she was staring at him. Well, no, because I heard thought the door it was open. a good entree into they might be just well, checking in and saying hello, going, well, hey, mom, when, hey, dad, what, what are you doing right now? Well, he walked in the door and she turned and looked at him. Oh. And so um, th- just to, to clarify things, um, I don't really want Clementine on the kitchen table. So what oh. I'm thinking is that because she does this when we're not here and even if, you know, so perhaps we're, we're gone too long or something happens, she hears something in the backyard. So we have to investigate it. So I think I need to do one of a couple of things. One is I have to remember to put the chairs against the table, you know, prop them so that she can't use the chair to get onto the kitchen table. So to prevent her from getting up there. Then the other thing I could do is pull the table back there's a window seat and I wouldn't mind if she sat on the window seat and looked out the back window. So I probably need to encourage her to get on the window seat rather than the table. So anyway, um, I just do the crate when I'm not home. Well, you know, I could do that. And actually, since she figured out Houdini esque to figure out how to get out of the house today when I was gone and my neighbor found her and put her back on my front porch, when both of the doors to the house were closed tight. There's no windows at her level. I don't know how she got out. I really, really have don't. Have you checked so, the bay window in front of the table? <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't. Oh, well, wait a minute. Oh, you're right. Because one of the windows, the screen, my grandkids poked <laughs> the screen out. So I wonder if she went through that. Anyway. So, yeah, usually so, yeah, you I can... might want a crater when you're not home. We tried to blame Brad, but Brad's in Florida, so it couldn't have been him. So he's safe for this week's episode. 
Yeah. I Well, but, we have crated her in the back. What I have done is I, I can gate them into the kitchen and that works really well. Um, but well, I not think if that's the window she went out of. Okay, so, what, <laughs> so, so what, like you just made it faster. It like limited her options for which window to jump out. That window is normally not open. The, uh, the only reason I opened the window today was to get the breezes through because it's such a lovely day here in Ohio. Or a clumber spaniel. Either one. <laughs> like one is more refreshing than the other. So um, the... This is an interesting thing. Like I'm always fascinated and, and and that sounds like I'm judging. I'm not judging. I'm genuinely fascinated what advantage there is to your dog being loose in your house when you're not home. My house, there's too many inappropriate choices for them. So I just I don't I don't do that. Maybe my dogs are just boldly irresponsible, but I I don't even trust people at a roundabout. I look both directions. So maybe maybe this is really more that I'm completely untrusting. But I don't I don't ever I don't really get that whole thing. I've never seen anything good come of it. Um I just hear Well, what stories. I would say is that what we usually do is I gate them into the kitchen so they can each get access to their own water bowl. Clemmy will go into her crate and sleep most of the time. There's nothing else for them to get into except for this window that was open. Now I have to go down and see if the screen was pushed out. So even the but, water bowl. I'm like, I don't want you to fill your bladder and then I my car breaks down or the battery dies and I can't get home in the time I expected to get home. Like, I don't want them to suffer with a full bladder because I got held up somewhere. Um, I don't know. It's. Especially if Clemmy goes in her crate anyway, like just close the door, like save us, like it's easier than having the neighbors catch her. Goofy dog. So anyway, to all of you who are no longer going to consider hiring me as a dog trainer, know that my clients' dogs are extraordinarily well behaved. So it's just my dogs. I always used to say are well managed, but now I don't think I can even say that. So anyway. So um, okay, so. What are you, in your experience, why do dogs stare at, at their handlers? All right. I think that they stare at the, I think there's a variety of reasons why they stare. I think part of it is they are trying to figure out, they're trying to understand what is it you're doing. I'm trying to figure out the pattern of behavior here and that, and kind of, and the with them factor, what's in it for me. If I can figure out this pattern of behavior, I can figure out when the cue is going to come that something's in it for me. Right. So I think we want, I think, Dogs, like most creatures, are somewhat, you know, they're opportunistic. They're really in, like, what what is in it for me? It's not that I don't love you, but there's really ought to be a payoff for me somewhere. So I think that they're trying to figure out patterns of behavior so that, that we know when it is I can I should be um, expressing myself or, or exhibiting some energy or something. So I think sometimes they're trying to figure out. I know that, that when Brad and I are getting ready to take them for a walk, there's a certain amount of activity, like somebody goes and gets a pair of shoes, right? Another person may go and get the bait bags. And when the dogs start to see us divide and conquer in that way, they tend to go, oh, 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 I think, I think, I think a walk is coming. And so then we're running to the front. Are we going at the front door? So we run to the front door. And so then maybe I go to the back door to get the bait bags. Well, then we go flying to the back door and then we go back to the front door. And so I think that they are watching us for cues that will tell them 
something's going to happen that might be worth my while. Like we're going to go for a walk. Right. Something exciting is going to happen. Are we getting fed? Are we going outside to play in the backyard with the ball? Are we going on a walk? Are we going on a car ride? Can yours differentiate between the car ride that's going to the vet and the car ride that's going somewhere they want to go? That's a really good question. And I don't think they can when we're getting in the car at home. I sometimes think that I've had dogs who knew exactly when we turned a particular way up, we're at the vets. And like my dog Bingley, when we were driving out to our cottage, we would be at a a point where we sort of get off the highway and we'd stop at the stop sign. And it was then he would go, we're on our way to the cottage. I know that's where we're headed. And he would, and it was 20 minutes away still. And he would be just starting to vibrate with excitement. And then every time we got to another significant turn i could see him going we're getting there we're getting there we're getting there we're getting there and till we got to the point where we would turn onto the private road and then i would let him out of the car and he would run to the cottage and meet us when i was growing up and my parents were actively you know breeding and showing dogs we always noticed that the dogs were quiet and relaxed in their crates until you got on surface roads right as soon as you turned off whatever highway or interstate there was all of a sudden, everybody was up and more active. Are we going to a dog show? Are we going to training? Are we like, are, what are we doing? Uh, and I think that that's probably true if I asked many of my customers to, that that would be a big change. Um, I do see puppies in puppy class staring at their owners to get information about what's going on around them. For example, in the training space that I utilize, um, the, the area next door to it is a hallway where stock is being brought from the back of the store out to the sales floor. And then on the other side of that is the, the self pet wash area and then a grooming area. A lot of times dogs are distracted or concerned about the activity in the hallway or the blowers or a dog barking in the grooming area. Yes. And I see them turn and look at their handlers just as a check-in to go, hey, like, is all that noise or is all that activity, is that okay? Like, am I getting a bath? Like, what's happening? Um, so I... I find, too, yeah, I think I think you're absolutely right. The other thing I, I think I find that dogs check in is, like, we're out for a walk and something happens. And the dogs will look at me like, is this something that we need to be addressing? Because I can if you want me to. And or I think that when... Case, when things, like, can we go home now? Yeah. Yeah. So, so I think that, that they, they do check in for cues from you as to whether or not this is something that we need to pay attention to. And I also think they use it for I want, right? The dog who wanders yes. into the space and kind of gives you the look like, hey, um, seems like the service in this establishment's a little slow today and it's 730 and nobody has fed the quadrupeds or... Hey, the water bowl's empty. Yes. Not everyone is as subtle as the pug who picks up the water bowl and slings it across the kitchen a few times, like a weird prison movie. Um, he plays bowl <laughs> hockey when when we've when the bowl is woefully <laughs> empty. Thank goodness he doesn't do it when it's full. Um, but I do think we call that kaspling in our kaspling. house because the bowl goes kaspling and it rattles around the kitchen in my in the interior of my skull. Um, yes, I would say that they do often look at us 
to go, hey, dummy, could you fill the water bowl? Um, Now, I will say in households with little kids, I sometimes see this with the dog adding muttering, bouncing around, jumping on you or barking because they maybe are in in competitions with other things staring at you and asking for support. Um, I know as a mama, my thumbs were very busy helping all sorts of different living creatures. So, yes, I remember one time when, when, um, I can't remember which dog it was. It, it might have been, might have been bandit, which was our, our first dog when we got married. And I just remember one time in the kitchen and sitting on the floor were the two kids and the dog right next to it, like in a little line, all staring at me, like where are the cookies kind of thing. Like duck, duck, and, goose. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of like, okay. This is apparently, I think, I, I can't remember kind of band looking around and go, okay, I guess this is what we do. We sit here and we stare at the woman and maybe something will appear. Perhaps there will be a snack. Yeah, that's right. Snacks all around. So yeah, I think, I think dogs will do that. And I think that they do what they need to. I think, I, I sometimes think too, that they do what's minimally necessary to get the point across. And then if that doesn't work, then, then we go to the next Yeah. Thing. Then we escalate. So, yeah, maybe just if staring at you will get you up in the morning, great. If not, then maybe I need to drop a tennis ball on you. Right. That might get you yeah, up in the morning. Yeah, tennis ball to right? the face usually does. <laughs> <laughs> it tends to be a excellent. You can't really snooze that. The no. Or, or can I stand on your chest and lick your face? That That's another this good is- one. This is Um, where we also discussed that my dogs sleep in crates at night so that I don't get a tennis ball to the (laughs) face and no one stands on my (laughs) chest except the cat. Well, Zuzu generally doesn't stand on my chest, but what she will do at usually right around 2.33 in the morning, she will jump into bed and snuggle right up next to me. She'll spoon with me. And I mean, you can't get a molecule between the two of us. And then I have to put my head on the pillow with mom B and sleep for a while so that I know the instant it turns into five Oh five and we can, I can lick her face and have breakfast. Yeah. So no, we don't have what I will. Clementine starts talking to us at about five and she usually needs to go out. She's usually pretty, she needs to go out. So, but breakfast doesn't happen until six or later. I won't do breakfast before six. Okay. I might let you out to go potty. So have you ever but... seen dogs look at you because they need your help in some way? Like a Timmy's in the well kind yes. of? It usually has to do with the tennis ball is where I can't get it, mom. It's in a scary place. Yeah. It's fallen behind the fence in the pile of poop or something. You know, I mean, it's just... Yes, or it's it's um it's it's stuck way back behind it's rolled underneath the sofa and it's way in the back and I can't get it, kind of thing. So yes, I have had my dogs ask me for help in that way. How about you? Absolutely, my Doberman used to come and tell on me when my daughter tried to sneak out of the house. <laughs> He'd come downstairs <laughs> and just stare at me like the girl jumped out the window again. Um, that was a very short-lived part of her development. Um, she learned very quickly that it just wasn't that exciting. So, um, but yes, I would say that I have seen my dogs and I also had a dog who had seizure activity pretty much his whole life. It was well-regulated, but occasionally he would have a breakthrough seizure, seizure. 
and he would come to me to um and like look at me and I and it invariably like I'm just really dumb so invariably I'd be looking at him and go Stuart are you gonna have a seizure and then his seizure would start I should, he, almost in answer to my question and I have heard I actually had a customer this week who talked about that her elderly dog woke her up in the middle of the night which was not like him to take him out he didn't do anything when she brought him in he stared at her and then had um likely uh mi and passed away and so she felt terrible and i said well the great news is he was looking at someone who deeply loved him um so it's and that you know you were awake for that you were there to support him during that transition so um I do think they sometimes look at us to communicate urgency about something like, hey, there's a problem either with themselves or with someone else. You were telling me about when. Yes. Go ahead. Yeah. No, I was just going to say when you were saying that, that reminds me of, yeah, when um, where our cottage is located, there's a private road that's owned by our group. And. Zuzu loved, she figured out that you could run through the culverts and they were like big, wet agility tunnels. And so you run through one side and then you land in this puddle in the other or a little pool of water. And it was really cool. And she loved it. So I had him out there one, I think it was February and she ran through the tunnel and she didn't come out. Well, I didn't know what was going on. I just know that she was out because sometimes she, she would just play in the puddle or in the pool. Right. But Bear, or Burner at the time, was standing at the top of the, the little ravine, and he looked down at the ravine, he looked back at me, he looked down at the ravine, he looked back at me, he wouldn't come when I called. He was just not acting like his normal self, but he was staring at me and staring down in the ravine, and I just knew from the way in which he was acting that, that something was seriously wrong, and it was probably wrong with Zuzu. And indeed, what had happened was somebody had illegally put a trap in the culvert and she was caught in a weasel trap. And uh, that's a whole other story. But um, anyway, but Bear wasn't going to, he wasn't going to come get me, but he wasn't going to leave her. And he was trying to communicate that something was wrong by looking at her and looking at me. So it was very clear that something was wrong because this was not his usual behavior. And I had another dog do that. I had a client whose dogs um, I was pet sitting for. And they, he had a small enclosed backyard, had a tree that had the branches of it, there was two small trees crossed in an X. They were little dogwoods. And his dogs had a dog door and they could go in and out. Well, apparently there was a squirrel in the dogwood tree. And his dog leaped up to bark at it. And his paw got caught in the X, right? So I'm going over there to feed and walk the dogs. And I get there and one of his other dogs is at the gate pacing, doing this little pad, 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 and looking at me like, hurry up, hurry up, hurry up which he would never do. And I rushed into the backyard to find the dog and um, called Brad and he came, we got a crowbar and we wrenched the tree apart and lifted the dog out. And, um, but anyway, that was the other time when I had, and, and that had happened before my incident with bear and Zuzu. So I think that's one reason why I recognized what was going on with bear as quickly as I did, because it looks so much like the collies from a couple of years before when he was looking over his shoulder, looking at me, hurry up, get down the driveway. Yeah. I mean, I do think that, that um, we've all experienced all those things, the dog staring at us for all these different 
reasons. Sometimes they're uncertain and they're looking for more information. Sometimes they didn't hear what we said to them. They're like, hey, could you could you repeat that? They they want something. They're worried about something. All all sorts of different reasons. So let's think about it. If we turned it on our ear, are there ways that we can use our eyes? Well, so one, are there ways that perhaps our, our eye contact or our children's eye contact or house guest's eye contact could be misconstrued by our dogs? Um, and how could we potentially use our eyes to communicate more fully and effectively with our own dogs? Well, one of the things I can say is, is that um, sometimes I think we give our dogs a hard stare when we don't intend to. Somebody is looking face first, right at the dog, kind of leaning in either towards or over the dog and, and looking him right in the eye. I think that can be misinterpreted by a dog as a hard stare and is something that might be threatening to them because they're most dogs when they're communicating, they're kind of looking to the side to one another. They rarely sort of are this really hard stare at one another. Um, so I think that we can, we can do that inadvertently feel, make our dogs feel as if they're being threatened by us simply because of the way that we look at them and we lean in towards them. I see this a lot when so, a dog is worried, there's something about the human condition that because that dog is worried, we have a tendency to stare at them because we're uncertain too. It's like the worry just keeps escalating. And a lot of times it will end up, in my experience, having a dog get kind of locked into a situation where there's just more and more pressure um, and stress when no one intends that to be the case. Like often children will babies. Oh my goodness. Like I had a, I had a consult the other day with a young baby sitting on a mom's lap facing toward me. Their dog was between us. The dog came to sit and look at mom. Um, and the baby was staring at the dog, right? Because it's exciting. Like it's an interesting thing. The baby's focal distance is about right. And the dog kept trying to move to get out of the baby's line of sight. So if you think about it, baby's eyes in in relation to the rest of their face size are really big. Their eyes are large. And that probably does convey a certain amount of pressure for that dog. So mom and I just talked about, okay, well, let's add kibble fetch into this. So get the dog moving so that that tension isn't building and the and by the way, when we, so kibble fetch is really simple. I think Jen Shryock is who came up with it. You basically with just plain boring kibble, toss a piece of kibble for the dog to chase. The dog comes back. You pay them for coming when called. You toss a piece of kibble again. It's an excellent exercise to tire your dog out, practice coming Mm -hmm. when called, do enrichment and incorporate your child at the same time. Like you don't have to get up and move unless of course the kibble goes into a scary place where then you have to go retrieve it. But it's an easy thing to incorporate. And what was interesting was instead of the dog and the child getting kind of locked in this eye contact thing, the dog started offering play bows and the baby started giggling a little bit, right? So it softened the whole exposure. Um, mom actually said like, oh, this would be really good when I'm reading a story to the baby. We're sitting in the rocking chair. We're reading a story. I could have my either the dog food bowl on the table next to the rocking chair or in my bait bag. And we could play kibble fetch while 
I'm reading the story. It's a way to incorporate the dog without any jumping up or any of that stuff. And we didn't get locked in that staring because she said sometimes the dog comes up and looks at me when I'm holding the baby and the baby and I are doing something and it starts escalating to pawing and barking. And I wonder if it was in a response to the baby looking at the dog. That's interesting. You know, it's funny because I was with a client this morning and I introduced something very similar to that because this is a, is a very fearful dog. And when they're out on a walk, if he sees something, he just stops and stares at it as it moves along. And he's not going anywhere until he's sure that it's at a safe distance and then he'll start walking again. So one of the things I suggested they start doing inside is playing what we call the toss and treat recall. You toss a treat out, they go and get it, it comes back to me. So it's teaching this dog a couple of things. One is let's have some fun going out and coming in, going out and coming in, going out, coming in. Um, build a little bit of confidence that I'm safe, even I'm away from mom. I can move away from mom and come back. And so I'm building some confidence in this dog. So I said, so that when you're out and he does the steering thing, you can do it just a short distance. You can just toss the, you know, the treat, uh, you know, two feet, have him go out and come back. So he's got something to do that's fun that he's confident in knowing what he's doing. And it takes the pressure off of having to stare at that fire-breathing dragon, that the fire-breathing dragon doesn't have as great a significance because I'm doing something fun with my owner. Well, and So I think that that's a helps, really right? good. Even, even for ourselves, yes. just movement helps break the, the tension a little bit. Absolutely. So I often Absolutely. have people in group classes um, – tell me how they're surprised that I can get a dog to move to an area that I want them to move to just by looking at the area I want them to move into. So I would say like loosely, it's like I'm looking knowingly, like all my body language is like, Hey, I'm looking at something, for example, like a settle mat or a, a platform and the dog kind of all on their own gets up and moves to the platform or to that settle mat or bed or towel or notebook or whatever it is I put down. Um, and they're always kind of amazed at that magic. And I think this is a good example where people like, sometimes the dog doesn't know where to be. You want the dog to move. Maybe you're on the phone or you're talking to someone just staring knowingly at the area you'd like your dog to go instead of the area where your dog is helps move them and, and gives them more information than just sitting and looking at them. Do you, do you ever do that when you're like teaching a settlement exercise or get out of the kitchen or anything like that? Yes. Um, and oftentimes what I will do is I'm looking at the dog and we're looking at each other and then I'm also walking and pointing. So I'm trying to combine all kinds of cues. So you understand when I'm looking over here and pointing, that's where we go. But there was an interesting study I think it was done in Hungary. Do you know about this study? But they found that dogs are the only animals that will follow. Like if you point in a direction, that they will actually follow your hand to where you're pointing or your eyes. Other animals won't do that. They won't follow the gesture. And that dogs will also mirror images. Like if you look at the dog knowingly and then you turn around, like just turn around in place and look at the dog, oftentimes the dog will mimic that. And other animals don't do that. And I think that's part of the communication system that's so beautiful between humans and dogs. I'll see if I can find that study and put it on the website. But it was very interesting that, that dogs really do follow our gestures wolves, and our eyes. Wolves don't follow points. Like if you no. point to a wolf, they look at the end of your finger. And cats, in my experience, yes. do that too, unless you 
I, I think my cat follows where I point, but I think I taught him to do that by throwing food. So he learned to follow where the point was because that's where the food was going. Um, I right. Have a no, dogs are pretty much the only domesticated animal. They're the only animal that will follow a human gesture. So that if I were to point, you'd probably look. Same thing. But I think we also can emphasize that even more. I think it's a combination. I point and I'm looking. So I'm like looking at the dog. You looking at me? Let's go here. And I look and I point and the dog's like, oh, I get it. You want me to go over there? And I think you can, I think it's probably a little bit more effective if you use both, but yes, absolutely. You can just look at something there. Are sometimes I'm just like, really seriously, I'm looking at you. I need you to lay down, you know, or whatever. And they're like, oh, okay. And they just sort of melt in. I think dogs follow our eye cues a lot. And I think one of the reasons why they follow our cues when we look at something is because they spend so much time staring at us and trying to figure out what it is we want them to do. Now, I guess my other question for you is, I think dogs also stare at you when they're not happy with you. Oh, and definitely. Or if they feel they're being threatened. Or if they are And that's a very different look. Yes. And our dogs, and I don't know about annoyed. you. I, I actually have a photo of the meanest face Jack has ever made at me. And it was, he was laying on our bed. It was really late. And I came into the bedroom to go to the bathroom and to say, come on, it's time for you to go to bed. And he opened his eyes and it had been a long, busy day and he was tired. And he, he made a really mean face. And I had my phone with me because no, I'm me. And so I took a picture of it and turned it around and showed him. I was like, look, this is the meanest face a dog has ever made at me. And he immediately softened, but was still miffed. Yeah. Um, well, I think, um, and that's it. I got to tell you that, you know, when you get that look, because there is, there is something in inside of you that just goes, oh my, you know, and the hairs on the back of your neck stand up and your stomach kind of flips and things go cold. And so, um, and, and I find that when I get, I immediately add a little distance because something's going on here. So I think that uh, people can read their dogs much better than they think they can. And I think that um, our dogs can read us very well. And I think it's very purposeful oftentimes the look that they are giving us because they figure I've been watching you and reading you. So I figure you can read me. Yeah. And I do think we sometimes offend them because they've been trying to communicate and we missed it. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Um, and I think sometimes I go like, really seriously, you missed that. How could you have missed that? I thought I was being really clear here, woman. And, uh, so I think sometimes too, is that people don't understand that communication from our dogs is, is really valuable. And that especially this, this is taking it to the next step. This is not just looking. And I think we've talked a little bit about this, but the idea that growling is not something that needs to be punished, but something that needs to be respected. Your dog is telling you in, in no uncertain terms that something is really off. And so I think sometimes we, we misinterpret, if we misinterpret their look or we misinterpret something that they're trying to tell us and they escalate to the next level to try and tell us, 
I think sometimes we fail to, to realize, wait a minute, maybe there was something before this level and I missed it. And so maybe steering back or watching your dog is, is a way in which you can then sort of open the lines of communication better. So I think sometimes we dog expect people to push aside their humanness, right? Um, in a perfect world, yes, our dog would growl and we would go, oh my goodness, I'm so sorry. How can I help you in this situation? And we're always going to move in that direction. But to be fair, there are times your child picks something up to throw it at you or to throw their cereal bowl that still has milk and cereal on it on the floor. It's a warning that the behavior's going to happen, that the child's frustrated with something. We tell them to knock it off, right? So we, I think... Part of the human condition naturally is to say to a dog who's growling at us about something like, don't growl at me about that. So I think while we always have the goal of softening and understanding better and helping our kids or helping our spouse or helping our dog, I think it's also important to understand that part of the human condition is to go, don't talk to me that way. Um, And to, to not have people necessarily judging themselves about that like no you don't want to escalate things but sometimes I do get mad at my dog and my dog gets mad at me because sometimes we are at cross purposes and they don't always have all the information and I don't always have all of the information so miscommunications are going to happen you just I don't want to really I don't want to punish a dog for growling but i might be like hey stop growling at me come on we're going this way this is what we're doing um, right you know it doesn't very good point very good point i, I think that that is something that business. really does need to be said so thank you for saying it's that. messy business and i think especially like for the people who are listening who are um growling is not going to punishing a dog for growling is not going to make them any more comfortable with what's going on than me putting your hand, my hand over your mouth for whatever you're telling me that I don't want to hear. Right. It, It would be an escalation and it's maybe not our finest moment, but we have all totally wanted to put our hand over someone else's mouth and think I'm talking to me right now. Right. So, um, you know, uh, Uh, What I would say is lots of families will call me that the dog was growling over a situation where the human was also agitated and it was likely just a miscommunication. The dog was, you know, mom's trying to put the harness and the leash on the dog at the same time that the toddler is pitching a fit because they want to keep watching Dora the Explorer or whatever they were doing. And she's trying to get everybody to the vet's appointment. And there's a lot of pressure in the overall situation. So the dog was overwhelmed, understandably so, but so was everybody else. (laughs) Right? Right. And that's a really good point, Tina. Very good point. It's how a lot of the like, I always love those calls because I'm like, okay, well, yeah, that was overwhelming for everybody. Like, everybody was sideways in that one. Um, so how can we break it apart and make it a little bit easier and reinforce to that dog, like, hey, thanks for the reminder that you were getting uncomfortable and that I need to work on this for you. Right. Because I also think, too, is, 
is that I, I like to ask people, you know, if they call me and say, well, how, how often does this happen? Well, it was one time. Okay. Well, now we know some of the pressures that may be difficult for your dog. So we can pay a little bit closer attention to it in the future. Um, I, that's very different than, um, well, you know, my dog pretty much growls over everything all the time. That's a, that's a different scenario than um, it happened this one time and I was uncomfortable. Well, and sometimes dogs talk. Like, I, I have a dog yes. who talks. Like, he mutters. Right, he's not growling. He's he's just talking. So Is that Marco? Yes, Marco mutters. He's very funny. Now he will also growl, but that's a separate that's a separate deal. He mutters a lot. Um, Clementine's a mutterer, not all the time, but it's just yeah. It's like what? Yeah. It's kind of like um, you're taking a long time getting that dinner ready. So, so Marco uses it to communicate that he would like us to grab the leash and the poop bags. He would like to go outside, not in the backyard, but in the do- in the garage door, so he can go to Tom's yard to poop. It's like a whole it's a whole routine he does, and sometimes we play wow. dumb and it makes him really mad, and then he communicates more fully. But we clean it up, like we don't just poop in. Like I don't poop in Tom's yard either. I that could have been a misunderstanding, but he, he wants, he, Marco likes to be special and to have special things happen, like going for a walk to poop instead of pooping in the backyard with the other dogs. He's very special. Well, you know, everybody has their moments when they're very special. We all like special. So, you do all like to, apparently Clementine likes to sew her special. Where'd she go now? Out the window. Probably. She has left the, the room. neighbors will bring her back <laughs> she was like that was the best idea for a dog door ever like how convenient zuzu can't get out so she can just enjoy the yard on her own yeah but when she right except that she if she got into the backyard she didn't go out i don't know how she could then get out of the backyard because the gate that she normally opens was actually closed tightly so I don't know. I don't know. I'm going to have to go down and see if I tell you what you talk. I well, am going to go down and check on that window and see if the screen's see if pushed out. The so we'll know for sure. Yeah. So actually, you know what? I have my headphones on, so you can probably still see so, so you can keep talking while you go downstairs. I can keep talking. Yes, I'm descending the stairs. So here, we'll add this and now- We'll add this to this podcast episode. So I have a customer whose dog was getting out of the yard, um, the fenced yard. And so I asked how the dog was doing it. And the dog was going she over. Gotten- Is- Tina, she could not have gotten out here because the, screen, the, the storm window was down oh. to cover the screen. Okay, well, that's good that the storm window stopped her. Yeah, but how did she get out of the house? It's a mystery. Right. Unless, of course, if I might have left, I have two front doors, um, the screen, like the screen door, the, or the storm door, and the regular door. And if the storm door wasn't closed tight, then that would have been the way she was out. But when I got back, the storm door was closed tight. So I don't know did the neighbor if my neighbor close closed it? I don't know. I'd have that means I'd have to go over and talk to Jean, and she's not home right now. 
So I'll find out and update everybody on the next one because she could not have gone out the screen window because the storm window was down. She couldn't go out the back door because that was closed tight and the storm door was down. So it had to have been the front door. And I think it probably was because the X-Pen I have on the front porch to contain the dogs was pushed way out of whack. But then I don't know if she did that after Jean put her on the line. So so, so will she show you, like if you did this setup and you left her to her own devices, would she show you how she got out now that she has this grand new trick? Probably. probably. You do have to love I'm the dog who tells on themselves. That's true. I'm thinking that probably was I had not closed the storm doors on the front as tight as I thought I had. And she has pushed that open and come out onto the porch to join us. And then so you she, accidentally left her home. Yes, apparently I did, according to her. So anyway, but we know it wasn't out the screen window. So I'll get more information from Jean and give everybody an update on the next <laughs> Your Family Dog podcast. <laughs> And also have a reminder on the door that I go out, is the front door closed? Right. So, <laughs> so Because right. I'm sure she can pick the lock on her crate and it, get out of that. Did, if I Did were your crater. dog escape or is it early signs of memory loss? Oh, it's probably all of the above. I mean, dementia <laughs> does run in my family. So oh, well, let's not joke about um, that. But um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's fascinating. Now we did so that, let not your heart be troubled. I will tell you that we had a situation where Jack slept outside overnight because you told me because he thought it was a camp out. Apparently he still tries to do it every once in a while, but Chris just, he, so Jack wants to sleep out of his crate at night, like loose in the house. And occasionally we grant that privilege. And so he hangs back outside at bedtime outside when they're all coming in, all the other dogs come in and dutifully get in their crates and Jack hides outside for a minute, hoping, I think he thinks he's like making dad forget. So, so Chris apparently was tired enough that he just didn't notice that Jack didn't come in. Jack's super quiet and he's, he's a sable colored dog. So he, in the dark, he's like invisible. So he, you know, he's a little bit of a ghost. So, <laughs> so in the morning I hear Jack barking outside and I'm like, huh, that sounds like it's outside. <laughs> Thank goodness. He didn't go over under around or through the fence, but um, yeah. So now he tries to do that from time to time to see if he can just sleep outside like a wild, do- like the wild dog he was meant to be. So, so it's not as if yeah, Zuzu got, yeah, we have a, a on our upstairs, we have a, a, we have a den and it's an office in the den and there's a balcony off of it. And so when we're up there watching TV or something, we'll open the door and the dogs will hang out on the balcony and enjoy the evening air. Well, once again, Zuzu, she's black, right? And if I don't have the light on on the porch, right? Brad closed the door and, and we're in bed and it's like two in the morning. And I'm like, wait a minute. Why is Zuzu not on the end of the bed? 
and what's that noise? <laughs> and sure enough, she was out on the balcony, and she was just staring at the door like, I'm sorry, did I do something wrong? Can I please come in and, like, maybe go to bed? <laughs> it felt really bad, but yeah, she was fine. It wasn't like she was out there in the rain and the cold and the snow. It was a lovely spring evening. But, Which is uh, why she was out there anyway. to begin with. Yeah, right, so... Okay, listeners, anyway. so so remember to like and share us on your social medias and share us with people who you think would enjoy our silly banter. Um, also, please always consider sending us your episode ideas. We really want this episode to be helpful to you and your family and giving us the feedback of what that might include, what kind of topics that might include is super helpful. You can contact us. Hit it, Julie. At feedback at yourfamilydogpodcast.com. Don't forget to rate us and give us a five-star review or a like or a share. Um, And we will see you next time on Your Family Dog. Thanks for listening to Your Family Dog. Got questions? Interesting ideas? Visit www.yourfamilydogpodcast.com to share your thoughts.